Hello, everyone. How are you today? Uh, it's so great to see all of you. I'm really excited. Uh, today we are going to be beginning a new series uh, through the book of Galatians. We're calling this series Gospel Freedom. And today we're just going to be looking at the introduction, the first five verses uh, of this book. And I want to just begin by really uh, declaring to you uh, this, this statement, that the reason that uh, Galatians is the book that I felt that the Spirit was, uh, was leading us as a community to explore, uh, because one of the, the greatest challenges um, that I have seen as a, as a pastor um, of this church for almost 10 years is the challenge of reconciling justification and sanctification. What does it mean to receive the gift of God's grace into our lives, and, and how does that actually transform us uh, in our daily experience? And what I have found is that, that when it comes uh, to the question of freedom, uh, we are often confused as Christians because our society, our culture, gives us all sorts of ideas of what it means to be free. And when we think of freedom, uh, actually, uh, if we think of it from a cultural context, we would actually be defining freedom in terms of how the Scripture defines sin. That sin, in its essence, is our refusal or our rejection of God's autonomy or God's uh, rule over our lives. It's our, our desire for our own autonomy. We think of freedom as the right to choose and to do whatever it is that we want with our lives. But even in reality, even if you were to eradicate um, a Christian grid or even a religious grid, the fact is, is that no one's truly free. <laughs> You're not free to do whatever you want in a society. And yet, that's exactly what our culture continues to feed into our hearts and into our minds, the great lie that we will be the most fulfilled, the most happy, if we take control of our lives and fulfill our dreams and our passions and our desires, creating a self-centered existence that leads to absolute despair and loneliness. And we have a responsibility as Christians to bring to the world real freedom. And real freedom comes through the gospel of Jesus. This is what I want us to consider throughout this series in the gospel of, in, in the epistle to the Galatians. And so I want to just begin with this. Isn't that a great slide? <laughs> uh, if we can just uh, get to the first slide. What we're going to consider today is what I refer to as the circle of grace, that the circle of grace is the key to understanding gospel freedom. If I could say it this way, grace from him, gratitude from us. Or how about this, grace to us, glory to him. There's a circle of grace. There is a reception and there is a response. Grace is not... Uh, God's one-way love in the sense that it comes to us and we don't do anything. It comes to us and it brings transformation to our lives. It's meant to bring about a change in us. And the essence of the letter to the Galatians is that the gospel of Christ brings about transformation of the believer's life, that the goal of the gospel is to bring about the likeness of Jesus into our lives, individually and as a community. 
that the power of the gospel is not the freedom to do what we want, but it is, it is the empowerment of the Spirit that gives us the freedom to do what is right. So look at these first five verses. Paul says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with him to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There is the whole circle of grace. All of the themes that Paul is going to touch on throughout the letter are found here in these first five verses. Well, let's give a little background. First of all, this book, uh, this letter uh, was written uh, probably between 48 and 49 AD. And this would have been right before Paul's third visit to Jerusalem and the Apostolic Conference. And, and remember, we studied the book of Acts uh, last year. Uh, we were in it for a long time, uh, but we saw Paul's missionary journeys unfold. And what Paul would do is he would go into various regions and he would basically plant churches. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He would go in, he would br- preach the gospel of Jesus, he would establish a community, and then he would, he, would, he would raise up leadership and then he would move on to the next city. And what Paul is doing here uh, is he is writing a letter to the Galatians. And Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor that was comprised of multiple cities. So this letter was meant to be circulated amongst the churches in the cities in Asia Minor. And they had been planted throughout this region. Most likely these churches were planted with Barnabas. We can kind of place it into the Acts story because he mentions Barnabas three times in chapter 2. Uh, assuming that they would know who Barnabas is. So we can say that this is probably during the missionary, the churches were planted during his journeys when he was traveling with Barnabas, Barnabas before they're falling out. The reason uh, that Paul writes this letter is that when he had come to Galatia, uh, he brought them the gospel. And I think this is really important. What is the gospel? The gospel is God's rescue plan for humanity that was accomplished through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus, that Jesus had come to save them from the present evil age. We find that right here in the opening of the letter. That through faith in him alone, they would receive the forgiveness of their sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and be brought into the family of God. And that reception of this good news meant freedom to live a transformed life. But something had gone horribly wrong. Not long after Paul had left the region, rival teachers made their way into the churches, and these were Jewish Christians uh, who presented Torah, the law of God, the Old Testament law, as a necessary part of responding to God's grace offered in Jesus. It was the gospel plus. It was in addition to the gospel. There's lots of speculation on why they did this. Some think it was to avoid persecution, but However we, however we assess it, it, the bottom line is it comes down to there was compromise. There was a, there was a gospel, uh, they, they were basically saying the gospel is not enough. That Paul withheld information from you. That we are here to give you the full gospel. We are here to give you the whole truth. 
what they were doing was they wanted to keep this new Christian movement anchored in the historic covenant between God and Israel. Rather than transformation by the Spirit, they presented the law as the path to perfection. So now there, there's going to be times, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to show some slides of circumcision. I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's these laws that seem obscure to us. That, how does this relate to us? How does, what, what does this matter? I mean, none of us are plagued with Judaizers coming into the church and saying you must be circumcised to be right with God or you have to practice uh, the, the dietary laws of the Old Testament. We're, we're, not, we're not doing that. You're, you're listening to a man who's clearly broken the law of God by having tattoos. So, uh, so this, is, this is not the issue, but what I want us to see at the heart of it is that it doesn't matter whether it's the law of God. Uh, let me just say, just unequivocally, that as Paul Zoll brilliantly put it, if the perfect law of God can't save us, what makes us think our own laws can? And the essence of the, of the, Galatians, uh, the letter to the Galatians is, is the same issue we face today, which is that which God has begun in the Spirit often becomes uh, bypassed by our attempts at perfecting what God has begun in the Spirit uh, in the flesh trying to do God's work in our own effort, in our own strength, creating our own laws to make ourselves feel better uh, as followers of Jesus, all the while dying on the vine because we aren't experiencing freedom, we're returning to slavery. And this is what Paul is challenging uh, throughout this letter. One of the things that we see is that challenging Paul's authority, these rival teachers had come in assuring the Galatians that unlike Paul, they were going to teach the people the whole truth. And so throughout the letter, Paul seems to be answering three questions. Why should the Galatians trust him and not these new teachers? What is the purpose of Torah, of God's law, in God's economy? Uh, and if the Torah can't help us progress toward righteousness, what will? And these are the three questions that we're going we're gonna to be able to investigate throughout this letter. What is grace? What is, what is faith? What is the purpose of the law? What does it mean to be spirit-filled? What, what does it mean to experience freedom, real gospel freedom? These are the things that we're going to be able to, to truly investigate and dig into. And my hope is that by the end of the Galatians series, what we will find a newfound freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit as we surrender to God's calling in our life through Jesus. This is why I think Galatians is so relevant today for us. I think there will always be a temptation for us as believers to think that the gospel is something we graduate from. Uh, I... I <laughs> I see this all the time, churches, it's like they become bored with the same old thing. And what that does is it means that we, and in, in Christendom, especially in America, it seems like in the West, is that we are constantly being bombarded with new books, new sermons, new podcasts that offer new knowledge, often pushing beyond the bounds of orthodoxy. It's the longing for secret knowledge. It's one of the, the, the sins in the garden, actually. It's the Faustian deal. It's the desire to, to know something secret, to move in. I mean, how many books are there about the secret power um, out there, whether it's New Age, but even within Christendom itself, there's always some book being touted as like the new path uh, to Christian freedom. 
Remember years ago when it was the prayer of Jabez? Nobody talks about that book anymore. Sorry, I didn't mean to knock on it. I mean, the prayer's in there. But, I mean, really? Greater significance than the prayer of Jesus? I just think it's, this is an, one example among thousands uh, of how uh, we often fall into the trappings of being uh, drawn into the, the, the desire, the temptation to move beyond the gospel, to find some new path, uh, whether it's some sort of moralistic, therapeutic moralism uh, that often is pervasive. Uh, there's all sorts of things that say, if you do these things, uh, I'm starting to wonder if, the, if the, the, new, the new path to spiritual freedom is understanding your Enneagram and posting it on, on Instagram. Uh, and if you did that, well, great. You've defined yourself by a number. Fantastic. Uh, I'm a seven. Any sevens in here? Let's, let's connect afterwards. Uh, all of those things are helpful, but they're not the gospel, and they sure as heck shouldn't be preached from the pulpit. So I'll just say that. It's a little pet peeve of mine. And I think those things are helpful. I like the disc test. I like Myron Briggs. I thought, even though Enneagram at first looked like a pentagram, I, I still I thought it was interesting. Uh, we've got some books on it, but I'm not going to preach it because it's not the gospel. I like what P.T. Forsyth said. He said, the secret of the Lord is those who have been broken by the cross and healed by the Spirit. And I believe that that is the essence of Galatians. Okay, let's move into this text. So the first thing we see in verse 1 and 2 is God's calling upon Paul's life. Paul, out of the gate, is establishing his authority as an apostle uh, that has been, what does he say? Look what he says. Paul, an apostle, not from man or through man. He, he isn't appointed an apostle by men. You remember from the book of Acts that God, that Jesus himself appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, and he smashed him to the ground, and he said, you are mine. You remember when God speaks to Ananias telling him to go and to baptize him? And Ananias is like, no way, have you heard about this man? You remember where Paul is, he was the persecutor of the church. He was zealous for the law. He was zealous for God. I mean, if anyone should have been an advocate for Torah, it would have been Paul. But Paul had his life turned upside down on the road to Damascus, struck blind. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. And right there, Saul's calling is established. In fact, he, God says to Ananias, he says, I have chosen him to suffer much for my gospel, and he will bring it to the Gentile world. And Paul says this, I am an apostle not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. There's some interesting things here we find in, this, in these opening two verses. Uh, first of all, Paul's establishment as an apostle by God uh, was a favorite, uh, a favorite of Martin Luther. 
when Luther uh, actually wrote his own commentary or gave a series of lectures on, on the book of Galatians, it's some of his best writing, and he loved this particular verse because he himself was following a path that was not accepted by the religious establishment of the day. And he even said, let every preacher of the gospel be sure that his calling is from God. I think that that's one of the things that we need more and more of in the pulpit is anointing. Uh, education is wonderful, but it does not surpass anointing. I remember a, a man once said to me, he's like, Josh, he's like, stay humble before the Lord, surrender to him, because if you ever lose your anointing, you'll be forced to, d- to depend on your own cleverness, and I promise you it won't take you far. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying about my intellect, uh, but I trust that statement. I think it's very true. It is a humbling and terrifying reality uh, to be tasked with the preaching of the gospel. And woe is me if I don't preach the gospel, but woe is me if I preach anything but the gospel. The calling must be sure. And Paul says, I have not been appointed an apostle from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He was... He was sent to establish the church. And, you know, apostle is used kind of loosely today. And I, I do think that, that the apostolic gift uh, remains today, but not in the same sense that we see uh, in the New Testament. The apostolic witness were those that were eyewitnesses uh, to Jesus, appointed by Jesus. Even when they tried to replace Judas in the beginning of, of Acts, they did not trust on their own ability to select. They, they drew straws that God might choose the apostle. It needed to be selected by God. And that's why Paul has this unique apostleship uh, because he was selected uh, by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so I think apostolic use today means it loosely just one who basically starts new works for the kingdom of God, plants, plants churches essentially. Uh, but it, it definitely doesn't hold the same weight uh, as the apostolic witness of the scripture. So, look what he says. Not, by, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. I love this. There is this mutual authority in both of those names. He, he is quick to connect Jesus Christ Uh, which is the title, Jesus, the Messiah, the King, and God, his Father, the Father. There is is one God revealed in three persons, and Paul is showing that this this authority was given to him through Jesus and God the Father, and notice what he does. He immediately points them to the gospel. They're turning away from the gospel, away from the perfect work of God accomplished through Jesus. The fact that Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law of the prophets, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And what does he point them to? The resurrection. Who raised him from the dead. Why does Paul say that? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the core conviction within the early church. And Paul purposefully uses this out of the gate because of its implications. If God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, it what? It vindicates Jesus. It endorses everything that he said. And it inaugurates a new age. They're trying to go back to an old age. Jesus just brought in a new age. Look what else he says. And all the brothers who are with me 
to the churches of Galatia. He begins by establishing his unique authority, but notice that he connects it to the witness of the community of faith. By saying, and all the brothers, and it could just be brothers and sisters who are with me, I believe what he's saying is that I say hello with the household of faith, essentially. The reason that his greeting includes the brothers and sisters that are with him is his way of reminding the Galatians that his message is not his own, but the shared testimony of the Christian community. He's trying to say, who are you going to trust? These new teachers that are enslaving you to a law from the age that is past? Or are you going to trust the testimony, the freedom that I spoke to you through the gospel of Jesus, through trusting in him and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit? And this is the testimony that doesn't just come from me. It comes from the whole community of faith. We are concerned about you. We love you. We want you to experience the freedom of the gospel. Paul always uses family language, and so should we, for everything about the gospel is relational. These, these false teachers that have crept into the churches in Galatia are actually moving the people within these churches away from relationship into legalism. And legalism always is about ideology rather than relationship. But we need to remember that sin destroyed relationship. The gospel restores it. We find ourselves, and so I'll just say about verses 1 and 2, we find ourselves in the household of faith as we surrender to the Father's call through His Son. Any authority that we have as representatives of Jesus comes from the fact that we are under His authority, surrendered to His will. He isn't just our Savior saving us out of hell and getting us into heaven, but He is our Lord. He is our King. You want to know why I believe so many Christians struggle with, with gospel freedom? It's because they reject the Lordship of Christ and think they can keep Jesus as their Savior. But that's not the way it works. He's actually the Lord of everyone, whether you recognize it or not. So here's the powerful calling upon Paul's life. But we have a calling. God has called us to himself through his son. And we have been called to be participants in bringing the reconciliation of the gospel. As I said last, last week, whether it's like me sitting with my sick father who's yet to respond to the gospel, or it's a, it's a co-worker, or it's a friend, or it's a family member, our ability to communicate the gospel is dependent upon our surrender to his calling in our life. And what he's called us into is relationship with him. You know what Paul is fervently trying to protect the Galatians from? Is losing their relationship with the Father. But isn't that the thing that often deteriorates in our own lives as we walk years down the road, uh, we remember what it was like to first fall in love with Jesus, and then we get to this place and we don't even know how we got there, where Jesus no longer seems like a living, vital personality that we can commune with, but it's just some set of rules that we've established. I'm a good Christian if I, God accepts me if I, this is what Galatians is trying to save us from. This is why it's so important for us today. So, surrender. Surrender to the calling. Secondly, look at this blessing in Galatians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
One of Paul's favorite greetings is reminding them of kind of the, the central themes of what the gospel brings into our lives. That God is the giver of grace. There is incongruity in the gift. And that he doesn't, he doesn't give it to us because we deserve it. The gift is offered to everyone equally. The question is, is will we receive it? And what makes the gift so amazing is how incredibly extravagant it is. It's God's generous kindness to, toward us in Jesus. That while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. God's grace is the giving of His Son. It is, it's not just unmerited favor, although I do believe it is that. It's also His divine presence, His willingness to enter into our dilemma. It's not something that God gives apart from Himself. His Son is our grace. And so Paul says, grace to you and peace from God the Father. This extravagant, one-way love of God. And like I said, it's one-way love. Uh, that, that means that it originates with God and comes to us not because of anything we have done or anything that we are, but because of who He is. That doesn't mean it doesn't bring about response. And as the gospel sets us free, we will see again and again that the more free we become by the gospel, the more responsible we become for that freedom which is why he gives us the Spirit, so we can live empowered to, rem to remain in that freedom. I love that he says, grace to you and peace from God. Uh, here's the thing. Peace and security was a common slogan within the Roman Empire. And, and really, is not peace and security a common slogan within the American Empire? <laughs> Isn't this the, the battle right now that's raging in our nation is 800,000 people go without paychecks is over peace, prosperity, and security. The world always offers a false sense of peace. If we build a wall, then we're going to feel safe. Whatever your, whatever your thoughts are, I'm not here to be political. I'm just saying that this is the natural temptation of the human spirit, is that we create these ideas that we think will bring about some sort of peace, some sort of inner, inner health to us. If I have this job, if I, if I have, have this house, if I have this spouse, all these things that we think will make us happy will ultimately bring us peace. And we are a restless people by nature. Peculiar loneliness plagues our society, as David Foster Wallace put it. And I believe that peculiar loneliness is the outcome of chasing after false peace and false security. And Paul, utilizing the rhetoric of the Roman Empire, turning it upside down on its head. He said, you want to know where you receive real joy, real love? You want to know what the real gift of life is? It's not in your ability to maintain your own autonomy. It's in your willingness to receive God's one-way love into your life. And that peace, the Hebrew word peace is shalom, which literally means what? Health and freedom, wholeness. It's about God making us whole again. That the very presence of God in our lives is what fills the hole that we are constantly trying to fill with other things. And Paul says, this is the blessing. This is the gift. 
Gift is a central theme of the book of Galatians. And we will see how massive, how extravagant, how ridiculous the gift is that God would love us. And he wants to bring peace into our lives. Here we see peace comes from the different source. God has taken the initiative. He has moved toward us in Jesus. Notice he connects it again. He was, he was selected to be an apostle by Jesus Christ through God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now he says, grace and peace comes to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Always connecting that reality. And so what is, what's, what is required when a blessing comes? The question for us, if, if calling requires surrender, the blessing requires reception. I asked my dad the last day I was with him before I flew home, Dad, where are you at with Jesus? And he said, I know I need to receive him. I'm just not ready. And what was he saying? I'm not ready to give up my autonomy. And what we need to understand is that the gift that comes from God is so big, there's no room for self-centeredness. There's no room. We can't say, what is it? People always say, what will it cost me to follow Jesus? And the only honest, only honest answer is everything. Because the gift is so extravagant that there isn't room. <laughs> there isn't room for anything else. Receive his grace and his peace into your life. Look what he says in verse four. For he says, this is where the blessing comes from. It comes from the gospel. In, in verse four, he says, who gave himself, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I, I just This is a central theme in the writings of Paul who gave himself for us or for our sins. Galatians 2.20 is one of the key verses in the entire book. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live, listen to this carefully, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So beautiful. That the gospel is about a giving God, a generous God, a God who is willing to give his only son. And not just, not just give him to come and live with us, but willing to give him to come and die for us to enter into our brokenness, to take it into himself and take the judgment that we deserve because of our autonomy, because of our rebellion against God's rule, because of our rejection of God's grace. Jesus has taken all of it into himself. And he says, this is the gospel. This is where the blessing comes from. It comes from a God who has proven the gift by sending his son give himself for our sins to deliver us and notice this the purpose of him bringing about the forgiveness of sins is to usher in an entirely new age what is this present age that paul talks about if i was to ask you that question what's the present 
what is the present evil age? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Remember when we were going through the Apostles' Creed, I said that we live in two ages simultaneously. The age that is passing and the age of the new creation. Hebrews 6.5 says, of those who, are, who have received into themselves the gift of God's grace, it says they have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. That's why I always say that we live, we live in these two realities, that we believe that Jesus has already been victorious over sin, over death, over this present age, over the devil, that he is victorious, and we live in an age of grace, and we are called to continually bring about the reflection, the, rea the reality of the age to come by how we live amongst one another. We are to live out the transformation of the gospel that has delivered us from the present evil age. And my question for you is, have you been set free from this age? This is a question that I keep asking myself because I see how quickly I, as the pastor of the church, become entangled with the issues of the day, with my love of culture. I, I, you know, when I, I often think about Jessica Mackey when I first interviewed uh, Tim. I, Darcy and I took them out to dinner, and Jessica goes, Josh, I think you're the first real Christian hedonist I've ever met. And I realize that may have not been a compliment. <laughs> and I, I asked her, I go, is that a bad thing? She was like, no, you just really seem to enjoy things. I'm like, I still don't think that's a compliment. Um, what is George McDonald said, I love beautiful things, but I am content to live without them. Most of you are like me. I love beautiful things, and I love beautiful things. And, and, and what we find is that Jesus didn't just come to bring forgiveness of sin. He came to bring about a transformation of our lives, which should bring about a new perspective. That is the age to come. The best is not now. Why don't we learn the lesson that when you get the new iPhone, it isn't going to make you happier? I still believe it will. I know you do as well. Whatever it might be, I mean, just put the name on it. The things that we, that we attempt to, to derive our meaning and our happiness from. And I love this because the gospel isn't meant to just simply get us out of hell and get us into heaven. It's meant to bring about the transformation, the reality of heaven to earth now through our lives as we surrender to the gospel of the king. I want that freedom. I'm preaching this this book to you not because you need this and I don't. I preach this to you because I desperately want freedom from my own flesh, from the ways that I become so distracted by new knowledge, by the ways that I can often graduate beyond the gospel only to find that it's another dead end. The good news, the circle of grace, it's before us. We've been set free. Another key verse in the book of Galatians is this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Notice that there is an active participation in our passive reception. It's the paradox. 
The gift comes to us freely, but then we have to figure out how to work it out with fear and trembling as a community of faith. Listen to what Luther says about this verse in in verse 4. He says, What's more, through the teaching of the gospel, the devil is crushed and his kingdom overthrown. He has taken hold of the law, sin, and death and uses them as if they were the strongest and most invincible tyrants. And through them, he he holds the entire world subject to himself. We need to understand that the devil is crushed, but we continue to listen to his lies, that his kingdom, his ways are still stronger than Jesus, and they're not. What we need to understand is this. I love what John Barclay says about this verse. The Christ event, that is the gospel, has recalibrated all systems of worth. The Christ event has recalibrated all systems of worth. Therefore, I call you guys as a community, all of you, be free. Be free. That's what the gospel does. Finally, look at this last verse. Verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice, the grace that issues forth from God and Christ has decisively altered the cosmos, affecting a rescue from the present evil age that elicits in return a human ascription of glory to God. Grace has come to us. We've been called by God through Jesus. We've surrendered to that call. We receive into ourselves grace and peace that comes from his gospel which has set us free. And what should be the outcome of the reception of that gift? Gratitude. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends with a benediction. Only a life given back shows the giver that we have properly valued his gift to us. His death on our behalf. The evidence that we have received grace is revealed in a response of gratitude. One of the ways that you can test the health of your soul is in your thankfulness. C.S. Lewis felt that that was the key to victorious Christian living was living with a perpetual gratitude. What was the wrath of God revealed from heaven in Romans 1? Why was the wrath of God revealed? Because they were not, what? Thankful, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thanksgiving is the proper response to God's gift and grace in Jesus. I always say, our part is to surrender God gives generously of his spirit. As we yield to his spirit, his spirit sets us free. And the response to the love of God being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit is that we say yes and amen. Thank you, God. Glory to you and to you alone. I love this. Give glory. That's the call upon our lives. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Why are we constantly trying to grab glory for ourselves? The transformation of the, of the human heart by the gospel of Jesus is evidenced in a desire to see God and God alone glorified in our lives. And so I close with this. What do we have in these first five verses? The circle of grace. Surrender to his calling. Receive his grace be free through his gospel, 
and give glory to his name. Amen? Let's pray.